one word You calm the storm that surrounds me Just one word The darkness has to retreat Just one touch I feel the presence of heaven Just one touch Eyes are open to see I can't believe There's nothing that our God can't do There's not a mountain that He can't move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can't do Just one word You hear what's broken inside of me Just one word And you revive every dream Just one touch I feel the power of heaven Just one touch My eyes are open to see Sing this next part and let it be your prayer this morning. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like Jesus, let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like the power of Jesus, I will believe for greater things, there's no power like the power of Jesus, let faith arise, let all agree, there's no power like his power, there's nothing that our God not a mountain that he can move. Oh, praise the name, makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Yeah, there's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a prison wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name, makes a way.
greatest song we could ever sing. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. No. 
pray with me before we, we move on. Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. Lord, we know that you're always here and you're always with us, that there's nowhere that we can go that is apart from your presence. But Father, we are so thankful when we feel and when we experience your presence like we've done over the last several minutes. Father, we pray that, that the words of our mouths but more than that, the inclinations of our heart have been, have been magnifying to you. Father, we need your manifest presence among us. Father, we need you. Even when we don't know that we need you. So, Father, we pray now for all of these friends that have come from all different kinds of places and spaces and weeks and things like that. And, Lord, we, we especially pray right now for, for Jeannie and the Wagner family with the passing of Kim this week. And we, we, we pray that you would be with them, that you would lead and guide them. So, Lord, as we, as we today celebrate you, as we celebrate your love, as we celebrate your grace, as we celebrate your calling... As we celebrate, Lord, being together, we pray that we would, we would be confronted in our hearts and our minds and our spirits about the opportunity that we have to manifest and present your presence to the world around us. We thank you for these moments. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to those of you that are here. Uh, my name is Dennis. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm your pastor. I'm actually pinch hitting for Julie. <laughs> wow. Somebody, I owe somebody $10. Um, thank you for being here this morning in person. Thank you for those of you that are online, that, that are attending as well. Uh, we have a few announcements this morning very quickly before we dismiss the kids and we have a time of greeting. Uh, the first thing on my agenda to tell you is that there will be a women's prayer meeting on Tuesday, July 11th. That is this Tuesday at, at 11 a.m. 11 or 7, 11 at 11 a.m. under the tree in the back. Now, this is the back. This way is the back. I'm assuming. Pam, is that right? Yes, sir. And it's the big tree. Yes, sir. All right. So... The app, that's on my list to read. Yeah, that's fine. What Pam said, uh, there, there, is no, there is no child care. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and if they come in and bother me, they'll just have to watch me sit in front of my computer and study. So that's how that goes. We what? Well, also you pray and you praise? All right. Uh, yeah, so Pam, you want to come here and do this or you want me to? Okay, all right, good. All right. <laughs> yeah, go Reds. That's right. Ellie De La Cruz, stealing home yesterday. One of the top three days of my adult life. I digress. Pub Theology this Tuesday. Also, a lot going on on Tuesday. Pub Theology on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. in the Matice backyard. If you would like more information on that, you can email Noah uh, or Julie, and they can give you more information. On July the 19th, we have Wine and Theology, and it's a, at a much more bougie location at the, Rust Creek, at the Rust Creek Bistro at 7 p.m. On July the 15th, uh, we are going to be partnering with B2 Bins uh, for a fundraiser for Sunrise. There are two ways that you can help. The first and probably the, most, the easiest way to help is that you can go shop on the 15th, and we'll get a portion of, of all of the money that you spend there. But, but the other way, 
way to maybe get your hands a little bit dirty is we still need a few more folks to sign up to help uh, to volunteer at B2 Bins on that, uh, on that day, on July 15th. Uh, you can contact Julie to get more information about that. Um, just a quick thing that was ran through my mind that's not on my sheet, but we are also participating in the Stuff the Bus with uh, Love One Another, and so there's still lots of school supplies that we can sign up to uh, provide for the Jenison Junior High, so pay attention to that on the back table. Uh, today, we are obviously gathering around the Lord's table, um, and as we have begun to practice, there are two little buckets that are on the offering boxes. So, uh, don't mistakenly put your tithes and your offering and your regular giving in those little buckets. Those go in the, uh, in, in the main uh, uh, basket back there. There are a couple of other ways to give as well online. You can click the QR code to do that. But today, for those of us in our community that find themselves uh, in need and in, in, in need of some special help, we do every time we uh, uh, gather around the Lord's table, uh, those little silver buckets are there uh, for a benevolent offering. Um, so you can put anything the Lord lays on your heart at that time. All right. I think that is all that I have. Julie, does that cover it? Okay, good. Um, so we'll let the kids go be dismissed right now. You can stand up and greet your neighbor for a few minutes, and then we will get rolling with the message here in just about three. All right. Let's gather back together and uh, get rolling. So this morning, we are continuing on uh, the second week in our series in the book of Haggai. And today, we're going to look at the majority of chapter one. Uh, next week, our dear brother Noah Matthijs is going to kick this off or uh, continue this off and finish up chapter one. And then the week after that, uh, Pastor Corey is going to begin uh, leading us through, through chapter two. And so we broke it down this way because as I told you last week, most of, of what we deal with in chapter one is this idea of an accusation. And I thought, I've got these two young pastor type guys, and one is from a deep reformed and one is from a charismatic tradition, and so surely I'll give the one that's from the Reformed tradition the misery passage, and I'll give the one with the celebration passage. Um, that was not my intention. They chose them themselves, which again, self-sorting, right? Um, but today, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter one, and we're going to be talking about restoring God's presence among God's people. And as we read this passage today, because there's so much uh, familiarity, I feel like, we, we come into church and we have this language that we talk and we, we, we speak in, in, in terms uh, that are very familiar to us, sometimes that familiarity in our language can get in the way of us actually understanding what the text has to say. Because there's an accusation that Haggai is bringing to the people, specifically to Zerubbabel, the governor, and uh, Joshua, the high priest, that then is disseminated to the people, that we can sometimes culturally appropriate that language in a way that we might miss the larger point that Haggai is making, and it may be easy for us to say, well, that was for them then, and I'm glad we figured all that out, and we don't have that problem today. So here's what we're going to do as we walk through the passage is we're, we're going to take this, this simple journey this morning for the next several minutes before we gather around the Lord's table. And the first question that we're going to ask ourselves is, well, what does this passage say? Uh, this is, we, when we, when in college and seminary, we, we actually talk about uh, this, this big uh, theological term called hermeneutics. Um, and essentially what hermeneutics is, is the art and the science of interpretation. And the best way to interpret any kind of a passage of Scripture, folks, is to, number one, read it and understand its genre. What kind of literature is this? Is it a letter? Is it a poem? Is it a prophecy? What is it? And then just read it slowly and carefully. The second thing, second question that we're going to ask is that what did this passage mean to its first recipients? Now, there's all kinds of, of, of little rabbit holes and rabbit trails that we could, we could go down this morning. But, but again, we're going to try to briefly look this morning and say, what did this passage mean to the folks that first read it? Because it can't mean what it never meant. 
And many times we do damage to the text of Scripture by superimposing our cultural understandings on them. And the third thing I want us to do is to ask the question that I think is really what all of us are, are trying to get at, or at least I'm, I'm hoping that's what you're, you're after today if you're here, is that what does this passage have to teach us? It's interesting. I, most of the pages of Scripture don't say things directly to us. Remember when we read the Bible, we're reading somebody else's mail? Which is actually, as, as an ad, a, a parent of adult children, it's kind of fun, right? When you accidentally open, accidentally open <laughs> somebody's mail. No, but we, we're reading somebody else's mail, but the But the beauty of the inspiration of Scripture, folks, is that while the Bible was written to someone else, it's written for us. It's written for us. It has something to say to our situation. It has something to teach us. It has wisdom for this life. So what does it say? What did it mean? And then what does it have to teach us? Well, let's, let's jump in and let's... Let's run down that first little piece of this, and I know lots of words on the screens, and you can tell that I'm doing this while Dan's away because the last two weeks I've cut off words, and that's totally on me. <laughs> let's see if we can, let's see if my brain can decipher half the words of that first line. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's House. So look at this. The first thing that we see here in this prophecy is, is that Hosea is saying to uh, the leaders and then trickling down to the people, the first thing that he's, he's pointing out is that the people are actually saying something to God. They're actually saying something in their hearts. They have a disposition toward God. And what's the thing that they're saying is basically they're saying, well, we don't have time to rebuild the Lord's house. The time hasn't yet come. There's going, to be, there's going to be room for that in our schedule later on. There's going to be more energy and more focus that we can get done, the kingdom work, in a little bit. Moving on to the next paragraph. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, right? This is interesting. Again, it says this in the first verse as well. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to the people and it said, It is time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, paneled fancy houses, while this house, meaning the temple, remains in ruin. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Keep keep that in your, your mind. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages, but only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Keep that locked in. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, I turned out, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, and on the grain and the new wine the olive oil, and everything else that the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. In this passage, we we see several things that are going on here. We, We see that God speaks through the prophet to people, and it reminds us that that's quite often how God does speak, doesn't he? He speaks to us through others. 
We see that there's a juxtaposition that's going on here, that, that, that God is concerned with, with his house. But there's a reason that God is concerned with, with his house. And it's not from a place of hubris or it's not from a place of, of, of selfishness necessarily. But the reality is, is that the temple of God represented his presence and his power among his people. It was the place where the sacrifices took place. It was the place where people would come and they would have their sins mediated between themselves. The priest would, would come and he would mediate between the sinful people and the holy creator God, it was, it was a representation so, so fully enmeshed in the history and the story of the Israelites that the tabernacle uh, before there was a temple, served as the centering focus of the camp, that, that, that they were taught as they were in the wilderness to orient the entire camp around the tabernacle. There was an entire tribe of the children of Israel that were dedicated to serving in the temple. And not just the priests, but the tribe that they came from. Remember, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. But every Levite, every person that was a descendant of Levi, every male was dedicated. Their inheritance, my friends, was the service of the temple. Their livelihood was paid by the 10% giving of the rest of the tribes. Because they were dedicated to do God's work. You see, God's house represents much more than just a roof over a head, protection from the elements. God calls in this passage his, his people to a way of, of, of introspection. He, he kind of asks the question. Hey, I asked the question twice. And, and maybe if we were to put it in our vernacular, we would say, hey, how's life working for you? He says, give careful thought to your ways, but, but think about how life is working for you. And he calls out the fact that they never seem to be able to find satiation for their thirst, satisfaction for their hunger. That all of these necessary things for life, for flourishing food, drink, clothing, wages... All of these things are essential, but they have occupied a place that is beyond their station in the life of the Israelites. <laughs> the passage contains this, this message, and it's within this message that there is an accusation, that there are consequences, and then there is a call. The accusation... You know, folks, I think often that we, when we think about in terms of work, we think about it in, in our context in terms of busyness, right? You hear somebody talk about someone, and one of the greatest pieces of praise that we can give to an individual is to say, in our context, oh, they're a hard worker, right? And sometimes how that works out, now not always, right? But sometimes how that works out or how that is this translated, at least in, in my life and my experience, is that, oh, that person's a hard worker. It, it, it means that they spend more time at the office than they do at home. It means that they neglect some aspects of their life that are super important and essential for the sake of some kind of American dream. You see, the problem with the people of God in Israel and Jerusalem at this time wasn't that they weren't busy. It wasn't that they weren't hard working. They were working hard. They were doing the stuff. They were planting the fields. They were busy. But their priorities were all mixed up. So I was preparing my remarks for, for Kim's funeral tomorrow. I was reminded, as I often am when I'm invited into such a sacred space, is that I have never met a family that gathers around a dying loved one where the dying loved one looks at his family and says, I wish I would have spent more time away from you. I wish I would have been more aloof. I wish I would have spent more time at the office. No, do you know what the stories were that were told around the table this past Tuesday as I met with the family? They're the stories that are always told. They're the stories of going on hunting trips. They're the stories of fishing. They're the stories of, of, of engagement, of love, of pressing in, of being present. You see, when Haggai, Haggai brings this accusation, he's not 
talking to a people that aren't busy or are lazy. He's talking to a people that have mixed up priorities. You see, they're worried about their own fancy houses while they're neglecting the temple of God, the place that represents God's presence and God's power among the people. The purpose for which they have come back to Jerusalem was to reestablish, to rebuild the temple, to reestablish the sacrificial system. But the problem was is that they had gotten used to living in Babylon. And in Babylon, they had been forced to live without a sacrificial system. They had been forced to live without a temple. They had gotten along just fine without taking the sacrifices to the temple. They had settled into a rhythm of not living as Israelites in Babylon, but now they were living with the rhythm of being Babylonians who were back in Israel. The echoes of of their ancestors ring in their activity, doesn't it? It's like the Israelites that were in Egypt for all of those hundreds of years. God gets them out of Egypt, and frankly, that was the easy part. The easy part was to overthrow the Egyptian pantheon. The hard part was to get the Egypt that had permeated the hearts of the Israelites. Getting the Israelites out of Egypt was easy. Getting the Egypt out of Israel was hard. And we see the same thing being repeated here. And this is the accusation, is that you're living like Babylonians even though you're back in Jerusalem. Hmm. And there are consequences, right? And the consequences are very Old Testament consequences, right? Right, you read this and you're like struggle and death and famine and you know all this kind of stuff. Like you, you see it. It happens over and over again. And and the text says that they planted much, but they harvested little in verse six. That that they had high expectations in verse nine of of what they were going to do and what they were going to accomplish, but there were little results. That the that the reality that they were living in was not a reality of plenty or excess, but it was scarcity, drought, and lack everywhere that they turned. You ever been in that kind of a situation where it seemed like the harder you work, the more that you got behind? The Israelites found themselves in this place, and, and, and what the prophet Haggai says is that this isn't just a physical or a material problem that you're facing. It's, a, it's an illustration of this inward spiritual struggle that all of you are dealing with. The scarcity, the drought, the lack, they're everywhere you look because there's scarcity, drought, and lack in your heart. And then there was the call. There was an accusation. There were these consequences that they were facing. And the call, very simply, is to give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Well, maybe you're probably getting here before me, but there's... There's several things as we look at this passage of Scripture and we, we pay attention to what was going on in, in, in their time and their context. I do think that there are several things that the passage has to teach us. But the thing that kind of jumped out to me and settled over me over the last several weeks as I've been studying and preparing for this series and, and this last week, especially as I was digging into this message, is that there are several things that this passage is teaching us and it has everything to do with nurturing and experiencing and expressing God's presence among and through his people. You see, this is, this is about God's people being his children, living as kingdom citizens. But what's, what's the problem, folks? The problem that we face, I think, is the problem that Israel faced when they were in, 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 in the desert uh, coming out of Egypt. It's the same problem that they faced during the time of the judges when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the problem that they faced when there was a, a, a upheaval through the reigns of the good and the bad kings. It was the problems that they faced that led them into exile. It was the problems that they faced even after, is the fact of the matter, is they didn't, when we don't understand what it means to be sons and daughters of God, citizens of his kingdom, members of his family, when we are Babylonians living 
uh, and masquerading as kingdom citizens, we do a disservice to the calling for which God has brought us into this space. No, we are not citizens of this space. We're citizens of a kingdom that live in a particular tribal space. I know we just celebrated the fourth. And folks, I am glad for the freedoms that we have. I'm thankful for the country that we, we live in, but I, but I wonder. I wonder if part of the problem with the church in America is that we see ourselves as capital A Americans and lowercase c Christians. Somebody better say amen because that was... This is what Haggai is, is pressing into. He's, he's telling the people that, that, it, that it's about God's presence. He, he, he makes several statements, and these are just things that are sort of, sort of, sort of thoughts that, that, that have come as I've, I've worked through this passage. But, but he wants them to know that nurturing God's presence demands personal and corporate introspection. If we are going to manifest God's presence in our world, no matter where that is, no matter what tribe we belong to, no matter what state we occupy, no matter what country, no matter what governmental system that we exist under, no, no matter all of those things, nurturing God's presence demands that we, as citizens of the kingdom, participate in personal and corporate introspection. It demands that we give careful thought to our ways. How am I really living? Am I being a kingdom citizen, a kingdom of heaven citizen, wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever is my vocation? And it, it caused me to wonder. It, it, it actually caused me to think, you guys, this week, as I asked myself the question, Dennis, when was the last time you prayed Psalm 139, 23, and 24? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And because this is how my brain works, I spent the next couple of hours rooting around in the Hebrew and, asking my, and working through the translation to say, okay, Lord, what are you really asking me to do here? And, and, and as I looked at this passage of Scripture and I began to pray it, as I began to take heed to the words of Haggai and to give careful thought to my ways. I looked at this psalm and I was reminded of the fact or I was taught by the scriptures that, that the request that's being made here of the psalmist is that God would know my heart, that place that is deep inside of me where the, the person that is Dennis Moles that looks out these eyes at all of you that I would be known, that he would literally probe my anxious thoughts. And it slapped me right in the face. How often, my friends, do we invite the Spirit of God into our anxieties and to ask him to probe those things to get to the root of the problem. Here's what I know in my own life, folks, is that most of the time, the things that I'm bothered by or anxious about, they're not the real things. They're the presenting things. And what's interesting is that the psalmist doesn't say anything about not being anxious anymore. It just asks God to probe his anxieties and then moves on and asks that he would root out, literally is the Hebrew there, root out any, and this is what it says, idolatrous way in me. You see, if we're going to nurture God's presence among this community or in the wider community, folks, it's going to take some time of self-introspection. When was the last time? When was the last time that I prayed Psalm 139? When was the last time that I sat in God's presence and I let him love me in the midst of my pain? Did you ever treat God the way you treat your friends here at church? 
Hey, Dan, how's it going? Fine, fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. You ever find yourself treating God that way? You come into God's presence, you're like, Lord, you're so good, and I love you so much, which may be absolutely positively true, but there are probably times, can I be just real honest with you, where we need to come to, to prayer because, because life is crappy, and we need to come to the Lord in prayer, and we need to say, God, I am mad, or I am sad, or I am hurting, or I am confused, or I don't understand. Maybe there are times in your life, maybe you need somebody to tell you that it is okay for you to go to the Lord in your times of great reluctance and disappointment and say to the Almighty, I feel betrayed by you. Because here's the thing. He knows it already. My friends, there's so much freedom in knowing who we are, but not just that, but knowing who we are and, and, and remembering and clinging to the fact that we are loved infinitely by the Almighty in that space. There's so much freedom because, because that gives us new, fresh eyes to see other broken people that are around us. Nurturing God's presence demands personal and corporate introspection. It also, experiencing God's presence comes through faith in God's provision. Haggai chapter 1 really calls me to stop and to ask questions. Lord, why am I not satisfied? Why am I not content? Has for some of us, a dream of better and more become a nightmare because it's enslaved us to building our own versions of paneled houses and neglecting the building of God's kingdom. Folks, I wonder how many of us, how many of you were like me when I read that first little phrase about people becoming occupied with their own stuff and kicking the kingdom work of God down the road. Lord, I'll get to that when there's more time. I'll get to that when there's more energy. I'll get to that when there's Again, I was reminded this week that at some point in my life, folks, that today is going to be today and tomorrow is not going to come in this life. What are the paneled houses that I'm working on in my own life? What's taking my attention away from building God's kingdom? Verse 6 specifically makes me wonder what the problem really was. And, and so, so we see in, in this passage, folks, I think that, right, that there was judgment and God was bringing drought and there were things that were going on. But verse six is really interesting because it talks about them having food to eat but never being filled. They had stuff to drink, but they never were satisfied. They had clothes, but they weren't warm. And, and, and it's really strangely worded and it makes me wonder if maybe we can experience lack and maybe we can experience the degradation of our souls. Maybe we can be starving for something, not because we don't have enough to eat, but because we're never satisfied and we're insatiable. They eat, but they were never full. They drank, but they always wanted more. Their thirst can't be satisfied by the, the things that they were putting into their body. Their clothes uh, the, the weren't providing the warmth and the covering that they need. The wages weren't enough because and they always felt like they had to hustle and, and, and work harder. See, expressing God's presence. One of the main ways that Haggai tells the children of Israel that they're going to be able to do this is, is by putting their faith in his provision. You know, folks, I wonder, I asked myself this week, Maybe one of the biggest questions that I need to ask myself over the next months and years is, how much is enough? The last thing before we, we gather around the, the table is I think the thing that, and this, again, this is just what, what it was teaching me this week, and I hope this is helpful to you, but, but expressing God's presence is accomplished as we bring order, life, and flourishing into our spheres of influence. You see, it's a, it's a calling to be a, a kingdom citizen that lives in America. Not an American who wants to go to heaven someday when they die. 
just as the call wasn't to be an Israelite on the outside and an Egyptian on the inside wandering around the desert, just as the call wasn't to be a Babylonian returned back to Jerusalem, we have a responsibility to express God's presence, and we express God's presence best when we push back on the chaos of life. When we contend for the flourishing of other humans that are around us, when we take seriously the non-corrosive, non-coercive message of Jesus. Here's the thing, the main thing I think that I was reminded of this week in my own life is that we've got some temple rebuilding to do ourselves, don't we? First Corinthians chapter three and six, we, we, we see the, the language that Paul uses when he talks about, about the temple. And, 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 and it's clear that, at least in Pauline theology, in the early church, that, that the temple was no longer the building that sat in the center of Jerusalem. But there's an allusion in, in, in chapter six where Paul talks about bodies, and, and it kind of sounds like, and he probably, he's talking about physical bodies, but, but all of the pronouns there that he uses are plural, so it's not just my individual body, it's all of our bodies. And here in chapter three, it's all y'all, it's all y'all are the temple. And so at the same time, something miraculous and something beautiful happens is that each and every one of us, inside of us, the Holy Spirit indwells us that we have union with God, but the Holy Spirit is also manifested not just among the me, it's among the all of us. That we are the temple and we've got some temple rebuilding to do, don't we? Jesus, um, here in the fall, we're going to look at a, a series on prayer and we're going to look at John 17. And, and the one time, my friends, that Jesus prayed for each and every one of us He prayed that we would be one, that we would be united. And I'm reminded of the fact that one of the best ways that we can manifest God's presence to the world around us is to not be so terrible to one another. Can we be a place? My friend, serious question. Can we be a place where you can gather around the table and we will intentionally say as Sunrise Ministries, we will be a people that Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and Progressives and no matter who you vote for in the empire, we will gather around the table and we will eat with each other because that's what a family does. We've got some temple rebuilding to do. We've got some temple rebuilding to do because there are people that are out in our community that have looked me dead in the eye, that have said, Dennis, I'll never go back to a church again. Why? Because somebody told them that they weren't good enough. Or somebody told them they denigrated the image of God within them based upon uh, some kind of, uh, of a judgment. Can we not be a people that can disagree, but can disagree with love and that we can hold space for each other and we can sit down and we can look each other in the eye, even if maybe we don't have the same theological ideas or maybe we have different understandings about what marriage is or what it should be? Can we sit down at the table and can we say, Jesus died for you just like he died for me? Right? we got some temple rebuilding to do. You see, folks, far too often, and we see this even in, 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 in families, real families, connected families, where, where there's such a big rupture, ideological rupture, that you have people that are like, well, I just, I can't talk about this, or I can't go there, or I, I can't be with this person. Or, or, and we look at those things, and we see when families blow up that way, we see the tragedy of that because it's not the way God intended, but we see it in the church, in this Babylon called America all the time, and somebody's got to do something about it. Because God's presence is manifested when we love one another. Where we find unity without unanimity. Where we disagree well in love. Where we, when confronted with truth and reality, 
allow it to direct our thoughts and our opinions rather than the other way around. We got some temple rebuilding to do. And so today, I apologize, I cut out an entire page of this message because I thought I want to take time for communion. Today we're going to gather around the table. Jeff and the team, if you guys could come up and we're just going to, I'll apologize to Julie later about the kids. But we're going to, we're going to gather around tables here, uh, friends, and we're going, to, we're going to kind of take our time. And so the elders are going to make their way to, to different tables. And what I want you to do is, is as you're coming to, to take the elements this morning, um, the, the elders are going to serve, but we're going to gather around the tables because here's what I want us to do. Today, we've got some temple rebuilding to do, and I want us to look each other in the eyes as we gather around God's table. For hundreds of years, the primary furniture in the church wasn't the pulpit, it was the table. For the first several hundred years, they gathered in churches. They didn't have buildings like this, and it was the table. When you, you go to Mass or when you go to a, an Orthodox service, it's, it's not necessarily the message where somebody gets up and drones on about a passage of Scripture, it's, it's the table. Today, as we, we come to the table, I want us to be reminded that we have an opportunity and an obligation to manifest God's presence, and we do that in no other way the way we do it when we gather around the table. Because in this act, we do two things. We declare our allegiance to Lord Jesus, and we physically Witness the fact that he is coming again to set all things right. So I'm going to pray. Jeff and the team are going to play a little bit. And then I just, I want you to, to gather around. And there's, there's different uh, stations. But, but just maybe with your family, with some other folks. Just as many of you can, that can fit around the table at one time. We'll, we'll gather around. We'll have, uh, uh, we'll celebrate communion, then you can go back and sit down and the next group can gather around and we'll, we'll do it again. But I want us to do this in small bunches and I want us, friends, to look each other in the eye because I want this morning to be a morning where maybe, just maybe, there are some temples that need to be rebuilt. And I know for some of you out there, you're, you're the introverts, you're like, Dennis, you're killing me. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> know that I love you. So Greg, you can come and stand right here by me. I've, I've got you, buddy. But we got some temple rebuilding to do. So Father, we come to you in this place and in this space. We, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your presence among your people. But God, our prayer is that we would remember this morning as we celebrate this ordinance, as we, we take the Eucharist, as we give thanks, Lord, that there's room around your table. That you love us, that you care for us. So, Father, meet us in this space. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. There are three tables. Come as the Lord leads. Turn to heaven, 
spoke your name into the night and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame the cross is spoken I am forgiven the King of Kings calls me out one more time.
Hear these words, make them your prayer, and know that God can be trusted. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See. If there is any idolatrous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we pray now for these dear friends. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the space that you've given us to occupy. We thank you for the freedoms that are provided by by our land. We thank you for those that have served, Lord, but let us never forget. We are foreigners and strangers and sojourners. Kingdom citizens. Given a call to present, to manifest your presence. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, folks. Thank you for your patience and your attention. You can be dismissed.